Totally Football Show. Boom! City blow the title race slightly ajar with a mighty win at the Etihad, putting two goals past the Liverpool side that had previously shipped almost as little as the people who won the government's ferry contract. This game also featured a dodgy company, but what else can we conclude from Thursday's extravaganza? Plus, transfers. The German press are laughing at us again over Chelsea's politic move. Should they be? And FA Cup. We've got the pick of the third round fixtures. It's all in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Here we are in this hollowed-out husk that once was Jazz FM, ready for some late-night hot takes on that sizzling set to at the Etihad. With us, a one Sasha Gurionov. Still hot and emotional. A Lindsay Hooper. Not so hot. It's quite cold in here. Kind of, though, you know. You I, know. I'm feeling the warmth great, from Sasha. Great news. James Horncastle's here. That is I. And he's sharing a microphone with Tom Williams. Hello, James. Hi, Tom. How are you, boys? <laughs> Good. Are you trying to get us to both lunge at the microphone at once? <laughs> <laughs> so they're sharing a, a, a microphone and we've all just been sharing an exciting football experience live from the Etihad, the big clash of the top two in the Premier League. 2-1 it finished to Man City, narrowing the gap at the top to a mere four points. Did you enjoy it, Lindsay? I very much enjoyed it. I thought it was a good match. I mean, it wasn't quality throughout, I have to say. There were there were moments when I was thinking, are we going to get more shots on target? But they came. Um, and I think both teams sitting on the fence a little bit because I thought that both teams brought something to the party. Obviously, Manchester City now have closed that gap and the title race is back on. Is I it? think as a neutral, that's what you want to see. Um, yeah, it is. I think four points between now and the end of the season is nothing. And I, and I think that it makes it very exciting now between now and May. While Liverpool go out defeated in this game, I do think that they'll probably look back on it and thought there's actually not that much between these two sides. Mm-hmm. If you reflect on how everything went, they had what a couple of a couple of shots cleared off or around the goal line. There's a decent chance that if the Premier League had video assistant referee, that Vincent Company would have been sent off as well. Um, it's an interesting one. I can see why many people think that City deserved it. Um, but at the same time, I think this this goes to show that this is going to be very close uh, from right until now the end of the season. Tom? One thing we've seen in recent encounters with, with Liverpool is that Guardiola has changed his tactics. He's so fearful of that front three, as we all saw in the, the Man City documentary. Whereas I thought tonight we saw more of the old-style Man City, if you like, you know, pressing more aggressively, the, the same sort of 4-3-3 formation. And if anyone was cautious, it was Jurgen Klopp with the, the three-man midfield of Wijnaldum, Henderson and Milner, the grafters. Um, so you know, what could have been a huge win for Liverpool had, had they won it ends up being a really, really important win for City. I think both in the sense that it kickstarts their 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 title defense or it, it reinvigorates their title defense but also it shows that they can they can play the way they want to play against a team like Liverpool and still come through on top. Mm. Sasha, you took a moment or two to collect yourself after this game. What what do you think the impact's going to be on Liverpool's players? I think Liverpool did not play well tonight. Uh, I think the City pressing did definitely put them off the game. Um if you look at the first half I thought it was pretty much a complete mess. Liverpool only really put together one good passing move, which led to that ridiculous Stones clearance at Edison and off his line. I think it was 11 millimetres that the ball stayed in by. And uh, But I think second half, um, Liverpool obviously felt there was a weakness um, that Edison had coming out and he hesitated a number of occasions, which probably contributed to the Liverpool goal as well. But I think you should look at it as a huge psychological boost for City here because I think what we've seen over the last year and a bit maybe even longer, is that Klopp's definitely inside Pep's head. 
And I think after today, uh, Pep can look at himself and maybe you know give himself a lot more confidence about what he does, but about his methods. I mean, he had a few defeats recently as well. And for him to collect his team for this big match and actually come through it and defend. I mean, yes, there were goal mouth scrambles, but City players were putting their bodies on the line. It was completely committed performance. And also, I think it's the best Sané played in quite some time in a big match. Mm. What did you make of Lovren's performance? I think he was severely affected by the uh, by the booking early doors. I think after that he defended with certain hesitation. And we saw how Sané got past him a couple of times. And generally he um, didn't really give an air of being completely confident in what he was doing. Right. Which is not something that usually seems to trouble him. Siobhan Walsh saying, is Lovren <laughs> the most deluded player just now? Based on those you've interviewed during your career, who has been the most deluded player? Nicholas Bentner. Oh, well, that's easy. <laughs> but he I mean, was it delusion or was it some kind of performance art? Delusion. Really? Clear delusion. What did he say to you? I, I've sat down with him a couple of times when he was in the Premier League and he ranked himself much higher than I think the rest of us did. Yes. Um, and even recently he's been like horseback, hasn't he? Hair in the wind, mm. those sorts of pictures. Yeah, I, I imagine that he's he has got a shrine <laughs> to himself somewhere. Don't, don't you? <laughs> no, clearly you have. <laughs> uh, yeah. but, okay, so now, um, Sash, would you agree with James Horncastle's take that in, in many ways Liverpool were as good, if not better, than City tonight, but just didn't have the, I, the, the, the luck of the draw? As you could see, it was a game of very fine margins. I mean, you could look at Aguero's finish. I mean, that was eye of a needle sort of finish. If you look at Sane's goal, I mean, that's, you know, 10 centimetres, well, even five centimetres either way that wider, that doesn't go in. So... This, these two teams are very evenly matched. And I think, you know, as, as they are both at the top and four points apart, mm. you're going to have a title race. Well, this is the thing. I mean, big picture, if you're a Liverpool fan, you would take being four points ahead of City after playing City twice um, rather than... I mean, that's, it, that's exceeded a lot of people's expectations, even given uh, what everyone thought about Liverpool with the signings that they made because they were coming off the Champions League final. As I said before, they, sh- they come out of this game, if anything, thinking... You know, we can we can match City's results from now on the end of the season. Um, There's been a lot of exceeding expectations in the Premier League already, though. I mean, that, and you have to bring Spurs back into that as well. You know, 15 wins from opening 20, mm. and I think there was a stat doing the rounds about any teams that had achieved that had pretty much gone on to either win the title or certainly be in the title race come the end of the season. So you can't discount Spurs if you're looking at that alone. But I mean, what I think this match showed is that there is very fine margins between the top teams now. I mean, you can't really separate them on fitness. The quality and strength in depth for these two teams in particular, I think you look at the benches and you think, well, yeah, I mean, they're quite evenly matched. Both managers going into this, you know, very bullheaded, but both very generous in saying, um, you're the best in the world. No, you're the best in the world. You know, I thought that was all mind games, I have to say, Sash. So where do you find these margins, fine margins between them? And what you've picked upon is these like centimetres. I mean, that's literally what it came down to in terms of the clinicalness tonight. If if Lovren marked the kind of Nadir in terms of performances at the Etihad. Who, who, who were the stars? Was it Leroy Sané? Would he be one of your outstanding players? Yeah, well. Sané very effective. I mean, Fernandinho was. I mean, you know, we know how much City have missed him uh, in recent weeks. I mean, he's been identified as, as perhaps the main reason for for that poor run of form that they went through. He was absolutely fantastic. I thought Bernardo Silva as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we know what a wonderful footballer Bernardo Silva is. But I thought that that you know the hard yards that he put in, that the graft that he put in. Um, even Vincent Company. I mean, he should have been sent off for that challenge on Saturday. It was a really, really 
poor challenge. But in, in a weird way, the fact that he got away with that helped to set the tone. Um, and Salah, we didn't really see him at all after that. And I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that it was that challenge that sort of took him out of the game. But I think it sort of helped set the tempo for City. And certainly the way that company defended helped to do that as well. And as we've got Liverpool fans in the room, it'd be interesting to put to, to them... You know, how disappointed were you that Klopp didn't bring on Shakiri that bit earlier? Did he have enough time? Well, you could see that Liverpool equalised. Uh, first of all, with about 23 minutes to go and then they conceded a few minutes later. So, I mean, you could arguably say that at that stage, Liverpool need to draw. Uh, it's not their only goal down. You know, they don't really need to go hell for leather that early. So I think Klopp was probably waiting to see how the game pans out here. Um, and I don't think I can really fault him for that. Um, and after Shakiri came on, I don't really think he made that much of a difference, no. to be honest. Again, it's a very, very tight game. There wasn't any space. City were defending in very big numbers towards the end. Um, so maybe you could argue and it would have taken a moment of genius from someone like Shakiri to thread that ball through. But he didn't really have the time to do that, I don't think. Can we maybe say, and this probably reflects better on, on City than on Liverpool, that right. I thought Alisson played pretty damn well tonight and I thought he was quite unlucky not to keep a clean sheet. I think both 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 goals that City scored, the Aguero one was really acute angle, roof of the net, quite close to him. I don't think he could have got his, his arms up in time. And then again, the, the, Sané p- practically put it where the only place he could I think that, that probably shows the first City time in a good he's light. conceded twice in this a match season. all season. Yeah. And in the league. Yeah. But also uh, two one-on-one saves uh, in the last 10 minutes to keep Liverpool in it, uh, just as City threatened you know, to, to make it 3-1 or even 4-1. Um, and I think you know, Alisson comes out of the game with great credit. This is not an absolutely awful end-of-season result for Liverpool. And they um, now have a bit of a break to pull themselves together. I think they will rest players uh, in the, against the Wolves in the FA Cup. And also, what, another thing uh, Lindsay was saying in terms of you know seeing the bigger picture, between now and the end of the season, Liverpool have, what, uh, 17 matches. They only play the other top six teams three times. That's what yeah. you think, Sash. Lindsay, what I, were your two conclusions about this game? <laughs> my two conclusions were Arsenal fans breathing a sigh of relief because the unbeaten Invincibles ah, is gone. Yeah. So I, I made a mental note of that when they when the final whistle went. And also, um, coming back to the goalkeepers, because Cheech, the Brazil coach, was there watching. Uh, Alisson, he's number one, but checking out Edison. Obviously, other players on the pitch, Firmino, different people that he wants to watch. I mean, he must have been having a brilliant night. But, you know, who comes out on top? I would say that Alisson won that battle. There was no threat to his number one shirt, was there? I I think, if anything, Edison showed a lot of uncertainty and a lot of... um, he, he has done these things this season where he just switches off. You know, those penalties he gave he gave away, perhaps he doesn't have, because he doesn't have to do that much. But but City have been leaking goals, whereas Alisson's, I think, conceded goals as half the XG or something like that. So, yeah, Alisson is on top. Sash, just one thing. Why do you think Liverpool started so poorly? Because the, the first half from them was really disappointing, huh? I, I think part of it is down to City because I think City really got into Liverpool's faces. I also think mentality. When uh, City and Liverpool drew nil-nil at Anfield, uh, that was a weak moment in Liverpool's season and City should have gone for Liverpool. I think tonight, Liverpool should have probably been a little bit more aggressive. In the previous games we saw last season, they actually managed to isolate Fernandinho quite well. Today, with that midfield, they were just sat too deep to put any pressure on Fernandinho. Yeah, and, and you have to give credit to City and Pep for learning the lessons. Yes. Because Fernandinho, you know, the fact that they had him back, he played so well this evening. Um, 
But Bernardo Silva just a- alongside, I mean, those two together were proper workhorses for City tonight. And it was very, very difficult for Liverpool to make any breakthroughs. Um, and I also felt that Salah has been more effective when he's been in more of that central role in recent games. But of course, he was back out on the right again. I know that they were targeting the, what they perceived to be a weakness with Laporte being out on the left flank. You know, was, was that going to be an area that Salah could expose? He made great runs. There, there was there was quite a lot that you know they managed to get out of the game, but I just felt that there was something taken away as well by by the, the trying to counteract this very defensive City lineup to begin with, and I didn't think it impinged on players like even though Sterling didn't manage to score against his former club again, um, he still managed to get the space, didn't he? And Sane was great. And I think what, but one thing you have to note on that. Uh, Liverpool have been playing a 4-2-3-1, a 4-4-2 kind of formation in recent weeks. But Klopp, I think, was never confident enough that that won't leave too much space when you play against someone like City. So that's why I think he's gone back to three in the middle. But I would have played a bit more proactive three in the middle. Mm. Right. Well, 12 days or so to ponder that and other conclusions from this monumental game. Four points send the gap between the top two in the Premier League. Later on, today's show, we'll be considering some of the other New Year's Day in and around January 1st fixtures. But after this, hey, let's talk about the excitements of the freshly opened transfer window. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, transfer window, it's open. In fact, even before it had opened, Samir Nasri was on his way to the London Stadium, presumably because he was out of contract, so he could have brought He's him been in. Whatever. there for, for ages. Really? Yeah. Did I know that? <laughs> well, it had gone a bit quiet because Sami Nasri is not—he's not—he's not Sami, the Sami Nasri that he was a few years ago. No. And he was still a name. He has—he has drifted to the margins somewhat. Okay. And also, they chose a peculiar time to announce it. They announced it about six o'clock on New Year's Eve, which yeah. must be—it yeah. was—it was almost as if they were trying to hide it. And a rather peculiar than photo. What yeah. was the photo, Lindsay? A very a lot of side mouth. Is that just pop, pop, Popeye esque? Right. Lindsay's demonstrating side mouth for the benefit of the listeners. But and I, I just think that's necessary. That just comes with the, with the player, I it, think. It felt more prominent. OK. I think it's quite impressive that he managed to make it back to the Premier League, albeit for, albeit for half a season. But he was a turkey. He was an Antalya sport. Antalya yeah. sport. Uh, at his age, I didn't think players sort of returned to the big leagues after what he's been through. Uh, there, was, there was still bigger news across town at Chelsea where they announced they signed Christian Pulisic for £58 million, but then immediately loaned it back to Borussia Dortmund till the end of the season, the 20-year-old becoming the most expensive American football player, comfortably exceeding the 20... Do you know who the previous was? American. Yeah. Ooh. John Brooks. Damn. Horncastle with the knowledge. Wow. <laughs> Mind is a lethal weapon. <laughs> they uh, yeah, love John Brooks out paid... Do you know who bought him then? For how much? Wolfsburg, no? For... 24 million. million, 20 million. Anyway, all right, so Pulisic going to Chelsea at the end of this season. The German papers, Bild in particular, called this crazy 64 million euros on a positionally limited player (laughs) that as a substitute most of this season has stagnated. Well, it's interesting that his place in the Dortmund side has been taken by the premier English talent, Jadon Sancho. Absolutely. All right, but anyway, to get another take on what this move might mean for Chelsea, we've dialled up Raphael Honigstein. 
I wouldn't perceive it as madness. I think it makes sense on Chelsea's uh, behalf, especially to do the deal now. But in Germany, I think they haven't quite realized just where the market is going and um, is likely to move in the next uh, 18 months as well. What do you see Pulisic bringing to Chelsea? Sarri says he wants a striker, but Pulisic certainly isn't that. He scored, what, 10 goals in the last three seasons? Yeah, he's not a striker. He's the guy that operates on the wing or in the number 10 role and creates a lot of opportunities, plays the penultimate ball, plays the final ball, uh, makes things happen in the final third. Still, you know, with one or two areas where he can improve, I think he's not quite as direct as some of the more prolific um, wide players. He's not quite as dangerous as yet. You know, doesn't quite have the consistent sort of presence and, uh, and threat that you'd like. But he is still very, very young. And uh, you're very welcome to look at a piece I did uh, not long ago for ESPN, uh, talking to some uh, analytics people. They point to a lot of performance indicators that look, look very, very promising for him, even if it doesn't quite yet translate into goals and assists. Are there off-field benefits with him, you know, given that he's a superstar in America? He does open a door to the US. He's got a huge following there. It'll only grow. He is really Messi and Ronaldo rolled into one as far as the American market is concerned. Uh, He's an absolute superstar. Now he'll have even more visibility at Chelsea and I think that'll be once again beneficial uh, for both him and the club with any ideas to build an extra following, to generate more income. Um, there are some suggestions that, you know, Abramovich might be looking for some kind of out, outside investment maybe from America at some stage. I mean, all these things make a lot of sense. And he's still a very good footballer. So this is not just a sort of a cynical marketing ploy, but uh, they're buying someone who can play good football and I'm sure will come good as well. Dankeschön, Rafa, and frohes neues Jahr. Ja, danke dir auch, mein Lieber. Exactly. Raphael Honigstein. Have you got a hot take on this, anybody? I, I was quite impressed with how excited Sari sounded after the game yesterday about the signing. <laughs> <laughs> Sari yeah. hates the transfer window. <laughs> yeah, is, is, is that a thing? Yeah. Well, it, I mean, he believes in coaching. He doesn't want to get involved in all that kind of stuff. There's yeah, a director of football for that. At the same time, he would quite like to get involved in having a new striker by the sound of his comments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a uh, big picture for Chelsea... There's a lot of speculation as to what this means about Eden Hazard's uh, future. But I suppose if you look at the kind of age profile of the other wingers, Willian, Pedro, both 30-31, their contracts are up the same time as Eden Hazard's, part of the kind of rejuvenation going on at uh, at Chelsea. Um, but yeah, boy, could he do with, uh, as he was saying after the Southampton game, someone who can get it done for them in the final 20 metres of the pitch. Absolutely, absolutely. Th- this is a smart smart move by Chelsea. He's a young, supremely talented player, no? Yeah, and a highly coveted player, a player who's already being spoken about as potentially the United States' greatest ever footballer, despite the fact he's, you know, how old is he, 20 still? 20, Only yeah. got a handful of caps. Um, so, yeah, a very exciting signing for Chelsea. Um, I suppose the inevitable follow-up question is, what does that mean for Aiden Hazard? Is Pulisic the Hazard replacement, or are they all going um, to you know, rub along happily together? Um, but yeah, I mean, and from a, you know, from a neutral's perspective, a really exciting player to have playing in the Premier League. Uh, and, and not all that surprising to see the German press up in arms, because... You don't really get massive transfer fees in the Bundesliga these days. I mean, even Bayern don't spend that sort of money. Um, and, and clearly, from the German perspective, spending that sort of money on a relatively untested player, uh, even though he is you know, clearly very, very good, probably does seem a little bit obscene. 
I saw an observation on Twitter that in the last 18 months, Borussia Dortmund have sold about 200 million worth of attacking talent, yeah. and yet they're six points clear at the top of the Bundesliga. Yeah. Mm. When you think of the players that they've, they've sold, I mean, Pulisic, for example, effectively came through their academy. Others, Aubameyang. Aubameyang. I mean, there's so many players that they, they've gone. Name some other ones. Um, Hitarian. Hey, very nice. Oh, no, Hitarian went earlier, didn't he? Uh, no, but he did come through Dortmund, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, he would. Made they sold uh, Götze to Bayern and then got him back cheap. Shinji Kagawa has another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, you laugh. That's that's incredible scouting. That was. It's like with Pulisic because they went to watch some other. US kid in the under what 17s or something and they yeah. ended up seeing him and th- let's bring him over what about Lewandowski then that's another one yeah yeah, he's done alright hasn't he could have been at Blackburn Rovers was it with Big, Big Sam could and he go was, to Blackburn was it not the, the Icelandic volcano that stopped him coming over or something like that that's a great story if it's true was he a replacement for Rocky Santa Cruz <laughs> big Rocky it was a big rumour wasn't it that yeah. that did stop him I, I just can't keep track of all of Chelsea's loaned out players whoever's got that job of keeping track of everybody is going to be very busy mm. got more Absolutely. loaned out players than anyone else haven't they they have I think it's 28 or there might be 29 with with Pulisic it's a lot effectively does it's it does lot. it count though when you buy a player and then loan him back to the club I tend know. to think that, that that's a different kind of loanee isn't it it's mm. not he's it, not just been farmed out to Vitesse Arnhem I mean yet that may yet await perhaps right. next season Leonid Slutsky will be so excited. None of us have mentioned... He's uh, a manager these days. And he's taken the two Berezutsky twins as his assistants, and they've just started yesterday, I believe. Oh, really? Oh, wonderful. They've just got the coaching licences, and now they're in the, whatever, mid-season training somewhere. It's mid-season, is it? Yeah. Right, Okay. Of course, it's mid-season, sorry. Winter winter break training, whatever whatever they're doing with Vitesse, who I think they're fifth in the league, about the same as last season. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We haven't mentioned Callum Hudson-Odoi yet. And a lot of people, there was a much hand-wringing over the fact that, once again, a young English talent was being ignored for an for a expensive foreign import. But they play on opposite wings, don't they? I think I thought Pulisic was on the right and then Hudson others on the left, no? I think but then so. these modern attacking no, midfield players, they're all very interchangeable, but aren't with, they? With, as I think uh, Sasha was mentioning, with all the, the ageing the aging wings, they've got like Pedro and William. You, you want a, a bundle of uh, young yeah, and I think you look at the Bundesliga example, the Bundesliga example, and one of the really striking things this season has been the use of young English players like Jaden Sancho, like mm. Reese Nelson at Hoffenheim, and, and these guys who are being told they're not ready um, to play for their Premier League clubs are getting chances in Germany and doing brilliantly. And you wonder whether at some point that approach is, is going to you know trickle across to the Premier League because these players clearly have the talent and just need opportunities to play. All right, It'll be interesting to see if. Pulisic will become the first bona fide American superstar in the Premier League. I was interested to read Duncan oh, Alexander. Yeah, the can second. he rap like Deuce? Mm. Yeah, they, to be fair, <laughs> Clint's up there, isn't he? Yeah. Here was um, Duncan Alexander getting to the real nitty-gritty. Uh, 40% of all the goalkeeper goals in Premier League history have been by Americans. Oh. Did you know that? So two out of five. But I guess it was that Brad Friedel Friedel, and Casey yeah, Keller would do Tim Howard, wasn't Tim it? Tim Howard, Howard right. Yeah. Someone sent me a trivia question the other day and it was to name the, the eight highest scoring Americans in uh, the Premier League history. I won't bore you by going through all the answers, but it's very, very difficult. Copy Jones. No. Okay. Let's not do it because that will take literally <laughs> Brian forever. Brian McBride? He is in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's another one from Duncan. Three of the last six American goals in the Premier League have been own goals. It's remarkable, isn't it? Uh, other exciting transfer news just while we're on the subject. Tammy Abraham. That, what's happened to him? 
<laughs> probably going to Wolves. Oh, OK, but it hasn't happened yet. But you no. think he's going to go to Wolves? Yeah, I mean, that's the big rumour coming okay. out of Molyneux. Fresh out of Aston Villa? Yeah. Well, he's done Chelsea well, though. to us. Yeah. Um, he's done very well. I mean, we definitely need um, some more options up front. So right. He would be very welcomed. Excellent. Cesc Fabregas to AS Monaco? Yeah, yeah, that was another big one. Now, that, that hasn't been confirmed no. yet. He did seem to be saying goodbye. <laughs> if I'm reading his body language and his Instagram posts, oh. where he seems to be waving at fans and saying, you know, 500 appearances in, in this league. Um, it did seem to be Cesc, you know, moving on. Right, and he'll team up with his former Arsenal buddy Thierry Henry there, of course. Mm. Thierry who's very much based on his coaching, based his coaching philosophy thus far on fielding youngsters who've mostly never taken the field before in a professional match. Yes, mainly because almost half his squad is injured right. and the players are coming back slowly, but no sooner does one come back than someone else. How do you see Cesc fitting in there? I think he'll fit in very well. I mean, Monaco are just crying out for, for senior players who know what they're doing. Right. Um, and, you know, we know they've got uh, a squad full of talented young players, but I think that the injury blight that has affected them has just shone a light on the fact that a lot of these players just aren't ready. Um, and Monaco appear to be quite deliberately targeting experienced players. I mean, they seem to be close to signing Naldo, a, a Brazilian centre-back from Schalke, who's 36. Cheeky Naldo. Cheeky now, though. Uh, Fabregas as well falls into the same bracket. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they're, they're in pretty dire straits, Monaco, so I think they're just trying to get some some wise old heads in there to try and sort things out as soon as possible. Freshly beaten 2-0 by the bottom team in the league, their neighbours Gangon. Uh, ooh, Sasha. Gangon, who made possibly the most exciting signing so far. Papi Gilaboggi, 72 oh, days yeah. late at Sunderland, has signed with, uh, with Gingong until the end of the season. That's brilliant news. So, um, All of these are linked to Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And non-Chelsea transfers, Ramsey to Juventus, is that happening? Well, I was going to ask James Horncastle, yeah, so. I was going to finish off on that one, but uh, away you go, James. Uh, yeah, I think this is actually very credible. Um, at the end of the season or in January? I think more likely um, at the end of the season, um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, he would follow in the footsteps of uh, John Charles and Ian, Ian Rush. Mm. It's, uh, he's certainly the kind of profile of midfielder that Juventus like um, in terms of um, midfield Frequently runner injured. gets into the box. <laughs> Frequently injured, yeah, like Sammy Kadira. Um, and he scores, yeah. scores goals. But I think um, a lot of money being asked by, uh, by, by Ramsey and, I mean, part of the inflation that is at Arsenal being a Premier League player. But, um, you know, when... Juventus are now paying 31 million a year to Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't think they feel too badly about. But do you think that's a move that would work? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, he's he's 28. Um, I think he perhaps hasn't been able to show all of his ability on a consistent basis because of the injuries. But I think it's a it's a classic Juve move. Someone who's available for free in the summer. Someone who's gathered a lot of experience um, over the years. Played a lot of Champions League football. One of FA Cup scored in finals for Arsenal. I think someone that they see is as being as being useful. Um, so yeah, why not? Ah, Christmas, the time of generosity, great food, terrible television, even worse jumpers, and a packed Premier League fixture list. And nobody does generosity at Christmas like Paddy Power. We're giving money back as a free bet on at least one game in every round of fixtures. Nobody's going to be paying out as much this Christmas. Except maybe Man United. You'd be a turkey to bet anywhere else. Paddy Power. Enough of the nonsense. Applies to first bet on all losing. Goal scorer, correct score and what odds Paddy bets on the match. Max refund £10. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Begambleaware.org. 
on Spotify, Smart Speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Who's excited about the top four race? Woo! Woo! Woo. Come on, Jay. You? Woo! What about you, listener? <laughs> Ric Flair. There we go. Now, uh, of course, this is exciting because Chelsea only drew, only drew uh, on whenever that was, Wednesday. Man United won. Uh, in their clash away uh, with Newcastle. So it's now only six points. It was, what, 13 points between them and the top four about three weeks ago, now just six. And, as we've heard, Chelsea are running out of kind of forward momentum because they don't have a striker they can use. Giroud's out injured. Man United Newcastle make it four wins from four under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, 14 goals scored in that time. Now their first clean sheet in eight. Romelu Lukaku roaring back. And also a certain Alexis Sanchez. This is quite worrying for their top four rivals, no, Tom? Yeah, it is. I suppose you'd temper that by saying that of the matches they've played under Solskjaer, you would have expected them to win all of those anyway. Perhaps not given the form they were in under Mourinho, but, but a team but look at the, with look United's at the quality should be winning those games. Sorry to talk over you. I was just going to say, look at the matches that their rivals played over this festive period and how many points they dropped, the likes of Spurs and Chelsea, etc. Oh, no, completely. And, and it's, you know, from a, from a neutral standpoint, it's been great to see Man United back and, and playing the sort United. of attacking football. Sorry? I just say, unless you hate United. <laughs> unless, unless, you, unless you despise United. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 been enjoyable to see those attacking players who we felt were being held back for so long mm. suddenly allowed to play with a handbrake off and, and produce such thrilling performances. And you know, I think Newcastle was was the most difficult of the four games they've had so far. They had to weather um, you know some sticky moments in the first half, and they came through it. Um, and as you said, you know, been able to bring on Lukaku and, and Sanchez. Uh, you know, Rashford and Martial have clearly improved since Solskjaer came in. And it's yeah, fr- from from United's perspective, it's it's, it's very encouraging. I think yeah, the, the only thing you would say is that they've they've not been properly tested against against one of their big rivals. But right. of course, next game up in the league is away at Tottenham, so yeah. that'll be a good opportunity to see exactly where they are. That'll be a huge measure of their progress under Solskjaer, who is now the clear second favourite to get the job on a full time basis. Uh, I mentioned uh, John Just Shelby's uh, ridiculous kick on uh, Pogba. I think that's the sort of challenge you think Pogba is very lucky to actually stay fit there. Uh, because, I mean, I think Shelby was complaining after it, but this is almost textbook John Joe Shelby. This, just red mist descends and he just flies in. And I thought he could have really badly injured him there. Absolutely. No question, Sash. Meantime, Chelsea with that uh, goalless draw with Southampton. What's happened to Chelsea? Do you have a view, Lindsay? Uh, I, they seem really limited lately when I've watched them. And... and Everything seems to have got narrower when you're watching Chelsea. Uh, I don't know why they're not using their width more. Um, I feel like the injuries aren't helping. The fact that they know that they haven't got this reinforcement in terms of strikers, they rely heavily and way too much on on Eden Hazard um, and whether he's playing well dictates whether they play well. I wasn't surprised when it turned out to be a draw with Southampton. I didn't think it would be goalless, but um when it, when it was a draw I wasn't I wasn't overly surprised. I think they are just lacking that cutting edge. I I think how excited are they for for the top 4 race? I mean, you look at, at the players right now and I would wonder how hungry some of them are are looking, but right. is is that part of this busy winter fixture period but some of them look quite lethargic I thought in that match against Southampton Also given the kind of historic historical precedence at Chelsea of every manager seems to fall out sooner or later with the club over transfers how worried should Chelsea fans 
be about the tone of Sarri's remarks about the fact that he hasn't been getting reinforcements? I don't think so. No? I think that was just him being him. Um, he was. I think he fobbed it off because he's just genuinely not that interested. Um, I, I think the most telling comment was when he was asked about whether he would bring one of their lone players back to help them up front, like Michi Batshuayi, for example. And he just said, look, we're, we're looking for players that have different characteristics. We're looking for players with different characteristics to what Michi Batshuayi has. I had a little bit of sympathy for him in the Southampton game in that um, if you look at the options that he's got up front at the moment, Pedro's injured, Willian went off after 37 minutes, um, Giroud was out, um, and and the only kind of player he had fit, uh, had on the bench who was an attacking player was Loftus-Cheek, who's not 100% fit. So in, in those positions where he's looking for a spark, he hasn't really got it. My sort of question mark about Sally would be kind of lack of rotation at this kind of period of the the season mm. which is much more intensive than it was in Italy when he was you know even then accused that his lack of rotation slowed the team down they had periods where they kind of they weren't burnt out but they were sort of on a very kind of low flame um and you know I think that might end up um coming to cost them let's not forget as well I mean he was complaining about he has no time with the players to train them you know and that's been the story of his time at Chelsea. He got there, um, yeah, Conte took the first two weeks of training. You know, as soon as he arrived, he was um, he was jetting off with the team, having to scramble together in the transfer window. And I think their performances uh, were not as good as the results at the start of the season. Right. I think to some extent we're seeing that a little bit catch up with them. Do you know who's had no time with his team? Raf Hasenhutl. <laughs> he only just arrived and he's getting a point there. And he, well, and he has no problem with rotation either. Yeah, he's not complaining so about it. He was very, very happy saying after the Chelsea draw, yeah, I, I rotated with my eye on this game and you yeah. know they defended superbly and got a great point. Yeah, they even rotated his keeper. He brought in uh, Angus Gunn for his Premier League debut, son of the ex-Norwich goalkeeper Brian Gunn. So literally son of a gun. A quite literal <laughs> son of a gun. Yeah. Excellent. Weirdly, Angus Gunn has already got one more clean sheet than his dad Brian Gunn ever, ama- ever managed at uh, Stamford Bridge. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. The Saints, anyway, get a point at the bridge but still drop into the bottom three because Burnley won at Huddersfield. Burnley with two wins in a row for the first time since September. This is also the first time they've won a game this season after going behind... And all this after Joe Hart left the starting eleven is, I mean, everyone been saying how how well he'd been doing, but is that not the case, Sash? Goals against, goals against, forty-two, and that's not counting the well, forty-one he conceded. Right. Keaton comes in, um, he's just a much better goalkeeper. Okay. I mean, even in the previous game, I kept a clean sheet. One of the goals was scored after he was very confidently coming outside his box, doing a header uh, yesterday no mistakes mm. and they seem to understand what he's doing I think there is much greater synergy with the defence I, I don't really didn't really get the sense that Hart and defence were, were one um, I think he's had flashes for Burnley where he looked like his former self mm. but I, the, I think there is always going to be something missing now with, with Joe Hart and I felt I was there for the game against Everton um, and wow they were shipping goals so five early one, on 5-1 yeah mm. um, there was the Dinya free kick and I just felt that from the moment he was stood over the ball, Joe Hart didn't seem to have that area of the post covered enough. It it, it just looked like it was going to go in. You know, those moments where, as, as a defensive unit, they must be thinking, well... I think we he's always he's always had a problem with his footwork. He basically doesn't get across the goal as as a keeper. Like, you see Alisson today, standing on his feet with a one-on-one with Aguero. I think 
Hart will be in a heap on the floor in that situation. So I'm not sure how he was coached when he was younger, but he just doesn't get across his line. He doesn't move his feet. Burnley, anyway, with Heaton back between the posts, the, among the big winners of this uh, this incredible run of uh, four rounds in, in, in two weeks. Other teams that have done particularly well? Crystal Palace, oh, no. who are fresh from a 2-0 win away at Wolves. <laughs> Lindsay, were you there? I was. I mean, 2-0 was flattery in the sense that the game as a whole was pretty dire. Right. Um... They scored two goals. They did score two goals. Mm. It is in black and white. Um, one it at was the very end, on, wasn't it? A penalty for uh, Milivojevic. Um, but I mean, th- the main thing was that they were completely bossing possession at Molyneux. You know, Wolves are there; they're on their, their home turf. You'd think that they would be on the front foot, um, but they really weren't. They they weren't very impressive. And Wolves tend to do this against the more expansive teams, the teams in the top six. They've done so well. They've done very well on the road, certainly in in London. Right. Um, you know, taken points, uh, three points from Chelsea. Did well against Arsenal. Well against Manchester City. You know, you you look at all that and you think brilliant. And then as a Wolves fan, it's so frustrating because then you watch them against Huddersfield, Watford. Um, but for it, Palace fans, Lindsay, I mean, this is terrific. Are they are they now out of the relegation battle? There's, what, six points clear? I don't think they're out of the relegation battle, but this has done them so much good because I think there were worrying times. It was looking like, where is the goal going to come from? And then to score two against Wolves would have given them a great confidence boost. AU as well to get his first yeah. goal for Crystal Palace. Yep, Jordan, I, yeah, they are four points clear of Newcastle. And effectively six points over the bottom three and three teams between them and the drop. So it's looking a lot better. Yeah, I think just to say about Palace, I mean, the only thing they've been missing this season is goals. I mean, look at their defensive record. Only Liverpool, Chelsea and Spurs have kept more clean sheets in the league this season than Palace, which is quite a startling statistic. Um, And because they've not been able to rely on any of their strikers to score goals, they end up playing with Zaha and Townsend up front, which they're both capable of doing, but which I don't think gets the best out of them. And and what we saw at Wolves was a a shift to a 4-3-3. Zaha and Townsend playing wide where they want to be. Um, And, you know, Jordan Ayew's goal record at Palace is been pretty dreadful but that's him off the mark now yeah. um, sounds like they're going to look perhaps to try Wamba and bring Saka someone else as, again as well he was, he had a very good game mm. um, also I mean over a very attritional Christmas period six games they've got the fifth best record in the Premier League so to, over the Christmas period over the Christmas so to come through that and to do that well who who are the four teams above them? who are the other big kind of Christmas winners okay so Liverpool with 18 points right. Spurs 15 United 15 Chelsea 13 alright and then Palace. Who are the big losers then of the Christmas? I, well, have... The really interesting one, bottom on. three. Everton? Everton, Bournemouth and Huddersfield. Obviously. Right, Everton, that's yeah. the thing. They've conceded 12 goals in five games, failed to score in their past two. Latest one saw them lose 1-0 at home to Leicester. What's going on at Goodison? Seems to have hit the wall and they're making so many mistakes at the back. Maybe it's, maybe it's the result of the Derby defeat uh, because I think that would have been very demoralising. But even in the very poor game against Leicester, the goal that Vardy scored with two awful mistakes by uh, Everton players, particularly for Keane, uh, who just mm. lost the ball. Um, and again, there are signs of nerves from Pickford again. And 20, well, 20 games in, um, Marco Silva's mojo seems to be going. And is this a repeat of what happened yes. at Watford? I don't, we, we never have seen him long enough, mm. have we yet, to know whether it, whether it was. You know, everybody already, at the time was thinking it was the rumours of him going to Everton that unsettled the Watford squad. But and now was he it? is at Everton. Was it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been, I don't know. 26 games he managed at Watford, 23 he's now reached with Everton. Tom, any thoughts on Everton? 
Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see how Silva reacts because I it looked like he'd he'd settled on a formula that that was working um, sort of uh, in the autumn where he decided he wasn't going to play with a striker. He'd put Richarlison up front, and for a few games that that seemed to work quite well. Um, and then, as Sasha was saying, it, that that derby result was when everything started to go wrong, and their results since then have been absolutely appalling. Mm. Um, I don't think you can you can pin all of that on on that result at Anfield, but that was obviously the turning point. And yeah, this is one of the great mysteries about Marco Silva. He's a coach who often goes in and makes a great impact. And so far in, in English football, we've not seen him have to come up with a plan B and then a plan C and really develop a team. Um, and that's what he needs to do now if Everton are going to get back on track. Now, James, you also mentioned there among the teams who really struggled mm. across this this difficult time, Huddersfield, I'll say, eight defeats in a row. Uh, and, and also these were games that, that presumably they will have marked out uh, David Wagner will have circled in red as these are must-win fixtures. They lost all of them. Uh, the latest one coming against uh, well, they had they lost to Fulham and who was it beat them? Oh, was it Burnley this time? Yeah, Burnley, right? Yeah. So uh, I don't really have a point about Huddersfield. Is there a point about? It Huddersfield? is their worst ever league run. They've lost eight league games in a row mm. for the first time ever. And I thought David Wagner sounded a bit like he knew the game was up. Uh, they've taken 10 points from 21 games and no Premier League team has ever survived um, having only taken that, that number of points and that number of games. And, and the, the spin he tried to put on it was, oh, that's the sort of challenge that Huddersfield thrive on. You know, we like to be the first team to have, to have achieved the unachievable, but I, it feels like this is a season too far for Huddersfield. They are eight points from safety. Mm. Mm. Uh, what has happened over the last week or so? Uh, Arsenal got back to winning ways after their defeat to Liverpool. With a big victory over Fulham. Shout out to Wobi. Yeah. I mean, I thought, uh, again, he, he looked really, really impressive there on the left. Uh, obviously, his ball for the ghosting Shaka for the first goal. Um, again, I thought he actually played quite well against Liverpool in the 5-1. And Liverpool haven't conceded that many goals this season when they were actually properly opened up. Yet, it was his pass at the Emirates. Um, and it was also his ball to Maitland-Niles. And I just thought he seems to find the space quite well. Also, he was on the weaker flank of Fulham, and he had Kalashnas also helping, helping him attack as well. a stronger flank. <laughs> <laughs> I, think this, I, think, I think the right flank is particularly weak. And he took really good advantage of it, and I thought, I thought Iwobi looks really, really good at the moment. Excellent. All right. Uh, Spurs also were victorious 3-0 at Cardiff. It was relatively straightforward. There was an absolutely extraordinary match between Bournemouth and Watford, it was 1-0, and then 13 minutes later, it was 3-3. It was extraordinary. Was anyone actually across this one live? Yeah, I, well, I was I was watching it um, and keeping across the updates whilst I was at Molyneux, but the, the interesting thing is that then there were no more goals in the second half. So and often how that the way, happens. Um, it looked like Troy Deeney was having one of his flash moments as well. I mean, when he's on it, he's on it. it was, he was sort of um, anticipating everything that was happening. I thought his second goal in particular... Um, showed that I, it was really difficult for Bournemouth because they they every season have a spell where they just go missing for a while and then they'll come back again. Mm. Uh, I don't think they'll end up in particular trouble from this, but I, I I just think that Eddie Howe needs to try and get consistency across the whole season because every single time there's a campaign, you know that there's going to be that stretch where they they'll drop points and they'll be the team that's getting beaten week in week out for a while. I think the way the calendar worked out is actually really weird because they're currently in the middle of a run where they play top six 10 times out of 19 games. It's the spirit of four months. And of course, they've lost all the six games against the top six. But against the rest of the league, it's two wins, a draw and two defeats. And I think this is, this is becoming, I think, a bit of a problem for Howe because I think 
in the last maybe 25 games against top six he won two and I think lost the rest you know if I were the owner I possibly would be asking him some questions about this because you know you should be able to break through that barrier because I think against the other sides they do reasonably well. okay the game yesterday was ragged but I thought Stanislas at right back was quite inspired mm. you know didn't defend so well but going forward it looked quite good so I don't think you know what's happening there is a particularly disastrous I don't think they're going to be in any danger of sliding towards relegation uh, but he needs to learn to play against the top six somehow I've not realised how bad their form was. They've only won two of the last 11 in the league. And yeah, to pick up on what Sasha said, you look at some of the beatings they've taken. I mean, 4-0 against Liverpool, um, 5-0 against Tottenham, 4-1 against Man United. And, and you know, the expectation with Bournemouth, I think, seeing how well they played over the first months of the season was that this was going to be the season they sort of kicked on and got a little bit closer to the top six. Um, and although, you know, clearly I still think you could say they're having a positive season when it comes to those direct head-to-head matches. They don't look any closer than they have been since they came Came up, this uh, is the sort the of squad as well, though, that does suffer when you've got injuries. And, you mm. know, you look at yeah. the amount of injuries that they've got. Adam Smith, lot, you know, Cook, they've had lots of different people out with, with big injuries. Um, and, and they haven't really got that backup, have they? Uh, and I think it just gets exposed at times throughout the course of a Premier League season. It is tough. Uh, also, uh, on Tuesday, or was it Wednesday, West Ham played Brighton. It was a 2-2 draw. Brighton were two goals up and then let that lead slip. But... Still been a pretty positive time for them. They are 10 points now off the drop, unbeaten in their three games over Christmas and New Year. Excellent stuff there from Chris Hooten. Uh, I was about to say, great to have Anoutovic back. Ah, What a guy. That's so true. <laughs> just He's just so much fun to watch. And he his tussle with Dunk throughout the whole game I thought was great. He popped up with those two goals. Of course, then he... After the game, he's always just funny to listen to. And I think, uh, you know, his return to West Ham, and I think West Ham looked really knackered. I think both teams looked really knackered. I think most West Ham fans would have taken us at this stage of the season, particularly <coughs> given how they started. Well, there, there you go. Uh, tenth they are, and tenth they will remain uh, this weekend because it is FA Cup. And some pretty exciting fixtures in there. We picked out one or two, listener, that you might like to uh, enjoy over the weekend. So why not stay with us? And we'll be right back with that after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. FA Cup, everybody. It's the third round, you know, Tom. Hey, exciting news. Those fifth round replays, you know, where the little team force the second match, get a huge payout which transforms their club and they get a shot at further glory, make maybe take the big team back to theirs. Yeah. yeah that's all gone. Oh. All gone oh. this time. FA Cup fifth round replays will be removed from this season competition. One season earlier than planned. Uh, this is to help avoid fixture congestions after six Premier League clubs reach the Champions League and Europa League knockout stages. Oh. Anyway, there are some games this weekend and there's there's plenty of giant-killing potential in there. I know you've you've all got at least one fixture that you're ever so excited to tell us about. Uh, who'd like to start? So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say Norwich against Portsmouth. Okay. The only reason I'm going to say that yeah. is because it, it's happening at Carrow Road, mm-hmm. where recent results, James, you've had 4-3 defeat to Derby, 3-3 against Forest, 4-3 against Millwall. There's just goals, James. Goals at Carrow Road. Norwich-Portsmouth. There you go. It is a fixture list that starts on Friday with Tranmere's clash with Spurs. Mickey Mellon's Tranmere, sort of Oxford City in round one, Edge Southport in a second round replay, etc. So on Spurs, by the way, have never won a trophy under Pochettino. 
you think someone could, might have mentioned that. Could this be the one? <laughs> he really needs one. I think so. Anyway, that's that's huge. Tom, what, what have you got? Quite like the look of Derby. So, sorry, Frank Lampard's Derby uh, against Southampton. <laughs> um, Derby obviously going well this season. Uh, six in the championship um, and have already shown a bit of giant killing pedigree in the Carabao Cup by knocking out Man United and then giving Chelsea a bit of a scare in, in the following round. Um, and you suspect that Ralph Hasenhutl will, will rotate his starting lineup again. Mm. I doubt the FA Cup will be a massive priority for Southampton this season. Uh, and it's at Derby, so potential uh, slip up there. You're a big fan of Harry Wilson as well. Big fan of Harry Wilson, yeah. Keeps on banging the goals in. Mm. And they're all they're all absolute screamers. Sash. Um have a couple. QPR Leeds just sounds really tasty. Okay. Really tasty there in West London. And the other one is But you could see that in the championship. Yeah, but it's it's their fake up. It's their fake like up. Cup it's magic when it's cup. not you know, where there's some kind of interspecies romance thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, James, if you want interspecies romance, yeah, Woking about... Watford. Okay, yeah, Woking Woking out of National League South. So that's what, sixth Division tier. six against Watford. If Watford rest players, Woking are quite, I don't know, growing up in the 90s, Woking seemed like quite a big name in the FA Cup from the lower leagues. You sort of saw them around this time in the third round of the FA Cup. So I quite like them to do well at Kingsfield. All Woking, right. of course, have pulled off a famous third round upset in 1991, beating West Brom who were then of the second tier, uh, 4-2, and they were in the seventh tier. Hat-trick from Tim Bazaglo, former computer worker of some description, who mm. also played cricket for Gibraltar. All right. Which takes some topping. This is all written down Tim here. Bezaglo. He should have been a, a lumberjack, no? Bazaglo. No, Tim Bazaglo. Oh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. I yeah. quite fancy Luton getting something from Sheffield Wednesday. Ooh. Um, um, Steve Bruce's Sheffield's went, Sheffield yes, Wednesday. Yes, but he's not in situ yet because oh. he's on holiday. Oh. Or prior engagements. Is he going to have their entrance and banisters repainted, I wonder? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think that they'll quite have found what's you know their feet in terms of what's going on under Bruce, because obviously he's not there, but the coaching staff are. Um, and Luton have been very impressive, so I think that could possibly be an upset. Um, and I have to mention, of course, Wolves against Liverpool. Mm. Wolves have had had great success against Liverpool in the in the cup last time um play very very well against them and i and i think now liverpool's eye off the ball you know this you result reckon? tonight that we've talked about endlessly about manchester city the title race have liverpool got it in them to have a a, a run in the fa cup as well probably not they need to focus now on the job at hand four points got to protect that i think uh liverpool should play um as much of a reserve team as possible really? in this. Because if you look longer term, if you look at um, April, I know maybe I'm thinking looking a bit too far ahead here, but if Liverpool do progress in the FA Cup, and maybe if they do progress in the Champions League, then April becomes a complete nightmare. They'll be playing every three days. Fixtures will get moved. I don't think they have a deep enough squad. So I think they should make a decision now. Sasha. FA Cup's not for them. Mugging off the cup. You're mugging off the cup. <laughs> I, I would at Klopp. this stage mug off the cup. He needs a trophy. I would mug off the cup. James, wow. Liverpool have lost ten of their last twenty-five games in all competitions in January. Well, so. this is this is actually this is a great point because first two seasons, Klopp and January and actually February, he had no idea what to do. That his first season, he was absolutely bewildered by all these fixtures. Again, lack of training. He can't train. How do you prepare for them? Second season, he didn't crack it. And only last season have Liverpool actually started sort of build, shaping the season in such a way that they can get through January primarily by getting knocked out of the League Cup as well, uh, but also rotating the squad appropriately. Wow, the what a time thing... to lose 2-1 to City. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the only thing I was going to say uh, is that Nuno will probably make changes as well. 
I can see that happening. A race to the bottom awaits so, us. So then. basically, Monday night, it's on Bush again. <laughs> All right. Listen, other games you might want to watch instead. Blackpool's clash with Arsenal is interesting, not least because they've already met this season in the Carabao Cup, of course. Arsenal just about edge past the third tier uh, Tangerines. 2-1 at the Emirates. This one, of course, will be back at Bloomfield uh, Road. Uh, oh, Licksteiner scored last time. Licksteiner and Emil Smith-Rowe put the Gunners 2-1 up. And then uh, Genduzzi got sent off and uh, all sorts of other things. Tangerine's currently line 10th in League Two. Uh, I think I've had four defeats in the last five. They're not in, in form, but be interesting to see how that one goes. Newport County, who have some history of cup upsets. Remember last year when they, mm-hmm. they did Leeds and then took uh, Spurs to a, a replay? They'll be uh, inviting Leicester back to their Rodney Parade digs. See how that goes. Fulham taking on Oldham, West Ham, Birmingham. Do you know who, I'd forgotten this or hadn't ever noticed, but Gary Monk's in charge of Birmingham. Did you know that? Gary Monk's in charge of Birmingham. Really? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> He's unbeaten in seven, Sasha. He's just outside the playoffs. Excellent. It's the Gianfranco Zola derby, that, of course. <laughs> uh, Palace taking on Grimsby. Just to go back to Newport, I once attended a, an FA Cup game at Newport, Newport and Swansea, okay. South Wales derby. Someone threw a coin at a linesman. Oh, is it oh. Goldie looking chain? Uh, I'm not sure the the uh, culprits were ever apprehended. And I uh, interviewed Lee Trundle. This is when I was training to be a journalist. I interviewed Lee Trundle after the game in the tunnel, which I was really excited about. He's got a really squeaky voice, which I was surprised by. That is always disconcerting when sportsmen have squeaky voices. Mm. Mm. Um Goldie looking chain. You, I did a, uh, an FA Cup game involving Newport County. Me too. Man United, wasn't oh, it? Newport Man United. Strangely, I got the Wrexham one. Ah. Yeah. Um, but it was a draw, which, you know, is nice because that's what Goldie looking chain were all about. Yeah. Hey. That's all the cup <laughs> fixtures we've got time for, apparently. Although there's also Newcastle Blackburn and United Premier League throwback. Hmm? Yeah, I like that, Newcastle Blackburn. It's mm, proper yeah, sort okay. of Premier League years, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Nice. Saturday at 5.30 then, Tom. That's... Make a note of that. Rafa says he'll pick a strong side for it as well. Blackburn beat high-flying West Brom on Tuesday. Before that, they'd lost their previous three. That's all you need to know, really, isn't it? Uh, United are taking on Reading. That's an early game on Saturday. Do you know who's in charge of Reading now? Anybody? <laughs> I think yeah. you say Man United. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it it's Jose, been, uh, Jose someone, isn't it? Would it would have been Yapstan, wouldn't it? Gomez, good yeah, knowledge, Gomez, Jose Gomez. Had it, been Yap, had it still been Yapstan, then that would have been... Stan be Solskjaer, yeah. Yeah, from the treble days and all that. Mm. But it's not. It's not something. Okay. Uh, anyway, there's loads of other matches. Bournemouth taking on Brighton and that. Good. Are you looking forward to it, Sasha? No, I'm looking forward to Coupe de France. Oh. Why? <laughs> because they're also in the last 64, if you like. But the great thing about Coupe de France is that in one of the previous rounds, they become the biggest cup tournament in the world. They have teams from French Guiana, Martinique, Guadeloupe, Réunion, Mayotte, New Caledonia, and Tahiti. And they fly to... Do they have the same kind of thing of like summer home, summer away? Summer home, summer are away. I understand the French FA pays for the team to fly on the other side of the world or brings those other clubs over. And one of those teams survived uh, to this weekend and it's Aiglon du Lamentin from, uh, they are from Martinique and they will be playing against Orléans. And they've been play- training at Clairefontaine. And of course, Orléans are the team that narrowly lost to PSG 2-1 in the League Cup recently. Right. With an amazing goal line clearance in the last minute. So I think for me, that is the tie of the weekend. Do they have replays in the French Coupe? Uh, I don't believe so. It goes to penalties. Oh, that's a shame because you, you, 
I think probably but, Orléans would, wouldn't mind a trip back mm, to Martinique. Yeah. Well, do you know what? With that, let's let's get some odds on uh, FA Cup fixtures and more. Besides, producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Bauer. Thank you, Jimbo, and hello to Lee Price from Paddy Power. Now, Lee, we have in no way prepared two versions of this uh, pre-recorded section, so let's start with City. What are their odds now to retain their title? We have a title race. Hallelujah. Um, This has made the prices very, very tight now for the league title. Liverpool do remain the favourites to win the league, despite losing last night. They're 10 to 11, though, so that has drifted slightly. City are into 11 to 10, so the exact opposite to win the league. This one's going down to the wire. Spurs, they are still in the mix, remember, 22 to 1. On to the FA Cup then, and let's stick with Liverpool. What's going to go on when they head to Wolves on Monday night? Well, Wolves are my betting bogey team this season, actually. They seem to turn it on against the big boys, but then struggle in games they're supposed to win, like against Palace the other night. You would expect Liverpool, though, to rotate after the City game, but with this match being on Monday night, it should allow the squad to recover. For that reason, Liverpool remain odds on to win this 5-6. to six. If you do fancy a Wolves Cup set, it's 11-4. to four. Spurs, as we've already talked about, didn't have the best of form against lower league opposition in the Cup last year. Uh, what's going to happen when they head to Tranmere? Well, I'm sure Pochettino will be going all guns blazing here, if only to silence those wizened football critics who say he has to win something at Tottenham. Tranmere, a massive 14-1 to to win tonight, or 11-2 to to earn a replay. If you want to hedge your bets, you can back the double chance, which comes in if Tranmere avoid defeat, and that's 7-2. to And finally, Lee, give us the quadruple, please, on Fulham, Burnley, Huddersfield and Leicester all going out this weekend. Oh, Jesus, Ben, I've got to update my CV. If this comes in, you could wipe out Paddy Power. The odds of this quadruple are around 960-1. to the safest leg, we think, is Huddersfield losing at Bristol City, which is 5-4. to four. Or your biggest challenge, according to the odds, would be Oldham winning at Fulham, which is 9-1. to one. Newport County are 17-2 to beat Leicester, and Barnsley are 7-2 to see off Burnley. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. We... We'll return on Monday with Michael Cox, Daniel Story, and Jack Lang. Woof. Okay. Uh, we might chat about the Asian Cup, it says here. When's the Asian Cup starting? You'll uh, know I this, think Sasha. it's on Saturday. Is it? Yeah, it's in the UAE. Is it? That, you see, I've. Mm. Oh, well. Uh, okay, what, what, do you, what have you got planned? Are you going to go and see a game, Sash? Uh, no, my next game is uh, Brighton Liverpool next week. Mm, nice. Very welcoming. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very nicely set up. It's also about 50 yards from the station. So you literally come out and there you are in the stadium. And hopefully Liverpool can get back to winning ways. Let's see. Let's see. Or will the curse of January continue? Away to a Brighton side who, as we mentioned, have been doing very nicely. Thank you. Lindsay, what have you got planned? Anything exciting? I think I've got the weekend off now. I was meant to be going and doing Bolton against Warsaw for the FA Cup, but... I haven't been very well over Christmas and I'm bowing out, just trying to get myself better. Um, So I think... Is it anything contagious? Yes, so hopefully you'll all are okay tomorrow. Um, (laughs) And then I'm at Chelsea, my next match, Chelsea-Newcastle next week. Ah, right, okay. James Walkers, you're probably flying off to all sorts of exotic places. No, I'm having some me time uh, this week. (laughs) 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 Strong. I didn't know we were allowed to mention that. Given the song that James was playing us earlier. Okay. Uh, Tom? I can't follow that. (laughs) Um, I'm playing football this weekend. Great. Join the Sunday League team. 
All right. Got what's, my, what's got the my name boots of your back team? on. Uh, Redmond Rovers. Okay. Playing the Edmonton District Sunday League, North London, oldest Sunday league in the UK. Is apparently. That right? Yeah. yeah. Nice. If you according to Wikipedia. So. Nice. If you're in Edmonton, do do stop by. Please don't. Please. Don't. <laughs> okay. All right then. This I do hope you enjoy yourself this weekend and find us again here on Monday. Many thanks to everybody for being with us. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.